0: We've been going through a series over the last couple of weeks uh, entitled Everyday Worship. And we've been using Warren Wiersbe's definition uh, from his book called Real Worship uh, to kind of define what we're talking about when it comes to worship. And, And Warren Wiersbe says this, worship is the believer's response of all that they are. And he clarifies that their mind, emotions, will, and body To what God is and says and does. As we discuss the topic of worship, there's a realization that worship is going to take an eternity for us to learn. It's not something that we can just get and and take a course on it and be done. It's not something that I can teach you over a series of four weeks or four months or four years that we would automatically be done and say, okay, I know everything there is to know about worship. Worship is what we are going to be doing for an eternity with God. We begin worshiping God in the initial stages with Him. And maybe we don't understand. Maybe as someone new to Christianity, you don't quite get why we come in and sit in the pews and sing songs and do all of that. But it's all a part of worship as we offer ourselves to God. As you develop in your relationship For him, your worship also matures and develops. So someone who is a new believer is probably going to worship differently than someone who's been a believer for 80 years. And can look back on God's faithfulness and God's goodness in their lives. But no matter where you are in your relationship, you have a reason to worship. Because of what God had, has done. And worship drives us to the realization of who God is, what He's done in our lives, and then it causes us to act accordingly with our own lives. You see, worship causes us to act. In the summertime, when I leave the church here, oftentimes I'll get home and I pull in my driveway, and when I open up, the door to my truck, there's a couple different smells that hit me. The first one is the smell of freshly cut grass. You smell that smell. You know what I always do? I look at my grass and I go, do I need to mow my lawn? It's usually evident because usually my neighbors on both sides, if they mow, I, I know, okay, it's time probably that I need to because it's like short, short, tall, tall. <laughs> And so I I realize what needs to be done. That smell causes me to act. The second smell is somebody has probably pulled out a grill, and you smell the smell of that meat either being smoked or cooking over the fire or over the charcoal. It's, It's kind of like if you're familiar with Pavlov's dogs. They would just start salivating. And that kind of starts happening. It, it causes a reaction in me. It causes me to crave that meat. Tim Keller says this about worship. Glorious worship is exuberant, never half-hearted. It is attractive, not off-putting. It is awesome, never sentimental. It is brilliant, not careless. It points to God, not to the speakers. There is nothing more evangelistic, nothing that will win the world more than glorious worship. Worship is part of that, like the smells that I talked about, that are to draw others to Christ, and we're going to talk about that more this morning. Michael Youssef, in his book entitled Empowered to Praise, says this, whenever we praise God, we are challenged to express God's goodness to others. So the expressions of God's goodness is coming out of us, is overflowing. Praise is not for our own benefit alone. It spills out to the church, into the world. It becomes a key element in our witness of Christ Jesus. This morning our topic is called the witness of worship. We're going to be getting into the book of Psalms, chapter 145, um, as we talk about this topic. The Psalms are given to us as worship music to God, many of them written by David in his life and, and many others who were just writing music, writing words in worship to God, and there are examples Many of the music today is based off of psalms because of the riches there. As we went last year through a a series on prayer, I talked to you about the psalms, how the psalms can even influence our prayers. As we pray to God, we can use the psalms as God's words given to us and then given back to Him in both music and in prayer. In Psalms 145, I want to give you examples, four different ways that we can witness in our worship. Each one of these is not independent. They kind of work in conjunction and build off of each other. It's it's part of a, a process or a pattern. And this pattern, it's probably most evident in this psalm. But it's one of those things that once you begin to see it, the different focuses of how the psalm is pointing in our vertical relationship and also in our horizontal relationships, you kind of begin to see it in all the other psalms. I noticed it as I, as I was going through that this week, as I was looking at other psalms, I'm like, oh, there's that, oh, there's that piece, oh, there's that piece, but we'll see it most clearly in Psalm 145 this morning. I invite you to open your Bibles, your copies of God's Word, whether it's uh, uh, paper copy, a digital copy to Psalm 145 this morning as we read. Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. Something I learned once, this is just a little side note. This is extra, it won't cost you anymore. Um, Those little titles, the the song of praise of David, that's actually part of verse 1. Um, in the Hebrew Bible, I learned that once, and I, I didn't know that before then. That's how we know that these are actually a song of praise of David. And so, when you see those, not the you know a lot of our Bibles it says like mine says "Great is the Lord" is kind of like a heading. That's not part of it. That's just they're trying to give you a topic of what this song was about. But right below that, the the song of praise of David that is actually in the Hebrew text. All right, it says, "I will extol you, my God and King." they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So there are four different examples here of how we can witness in our worship. The first is the witness to the Lord. We witness to the Lord We in worship to Him. And this one kind of seems like a no-brainer. Well, duh. Of course, when we're worshiping, we're worshiping the Lord. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that He is the one that is worthy, worth He is worthy of our honor and praise, and the only one. And so, of course, our worship is meant for God. The Bible tells us that God delights in the praises of those who are delighting in him. Uh, One example is Psalm 149, verse 4. It says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. And so in these verses, verse 3, uh, David writes, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. There are many phrases in there. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And so as you go through the psalm, you see the psalmist, you see David proclaiming about God, you are good you are faithful, you are loving, you are merciful. And these are praises that David is just lifting up to God, declaring about him. And so the witness is aimed back at God. Well, another example is Psalm 95, and it says this, "Oh come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. It's the psalmist declaring, and like I said, as you read through Psalms you go, oh wow, they're declaring about God there. They're declaring the goodness of God. They're declaring the characteristics of God and who God is and all that he has done. You see, the only focus of our worship should be aimed at God. And when I say God, you know that I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, that our worship is of them. That we're speaking the truths of his word back to him. We're declaring who he is. The, The thing about worship, I think sometimes we lose our focus a bit. And when we come into worship, meaning come into this place of worship as a corporate body, sometimes we think worship is supposed to be about us. And in reality, when we come together corporately, even individually, our worship is always to be about him. And so if you come in and we sing a song that you say, I didn't really enjoy that song, it doesn't matter if you enjoy it. The idea is it's meant for him to enjoy it. You say, well, those songs weren't my cup of tea this morning. Well, that's okay, because it's not about me, it's about him. Did he receive praise and glory and honor through what was being sung? Yes. You see, the point of worship is pleasing God, not pleasing ourselves. In the book of Hebrews, the author writes this, Through him, then, the hymn there is Jesus Christ, through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. How often should we be praising God? Continually. Like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. It's a continual thing, the worship that we're to be doing. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. He writes, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrificing our sacrifices are pleasing to God. How do we please God? Well, Paul lists a couple ideas there. Doing good, the works that were prepared before us to do and to share what we have. Those are sacrifices that are honoring and pleasing to God. Warren Wiersbe in his book mentions a couple others. We offer our bodies to him. That comes from Romans 12:1. We can give God praise, just declaring praise. His character to him, Hebrews 13, 15. Continual prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5. I just talked about that. Through service and giving. That's Hebrews 13, 16. And through a broken and contrite heart, from Psalm 51. We've talked about that verse in the last couple of weeks. There are ways that we can offer our lives to God and please Him in worship. So that is the vertical relationship. That comes first, that worship to God. And out of that worship is going to overflow into our other, our horizontal relationship. So so the second thing, the second example we see here is witness to ourselves. There's an element of this that the psalmist is declaring these things back to himself, these truths about God. He's saying these are true and I need to know them as well. Verse 6, I will declare your greatness. I will meditate. says on your, verse 5, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. He's meditating, he's witnessing to himself about the truth of God's word. These are kind of, we are focusing on worshiping God, but these are kind of peripheral outcomes of what happens when we worship God. We not only witness about the truths of God's word, but we witness about the truths of what God is doing in our lives. Some call that your testimony, the things that God has done and is doing every day in your lives, how he's providing for you, how he's caring for you. It's important at times to witness to ourselves because there are a lot of lies out there. There are a lot, lot of lies that were told, and we have to come back to the truth and say, is that true based on God's word? Or is that a lie? And so we witness to ourselves when we come back to that, and we can be worried, struggling, sick, Depressed, anxious, trapped in addictions or falling into sins. And, And one of the solutions to those is refocusing your life on worship of God. In Psalm 42... This is a psalm written by the sons of Korah. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Do you sense he's talking there to himself? He's witnessing to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Again, still talking to himself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What is he doing? He's pouring truth. Who is our hope? God is our hope. God is our salvation. God is the only one worthy of our praise. So Rory Nolan, in his book, is called "Worship on Earth as It is in Heaven." He, he writes this: Worship bolsters our faith by reminding us that God is good. Worship is that enriching in our lives. That helps us remember who God is and what God has done. That can come through reading his word and the truths there. That can come from listening in your ear pods every morning to worship music. There are lots of ways for us to worship God. At times it means serving him. Worshiping God through service. And that can bolster our faith and remind us of who God is. In the book of Habakkuk, we have to remember that worship is something that we do no matter what the circumstances. I know in my life, I don't always feel like worshiping. There are times when I'm grumpy. I know that's hard for you guys to believe. But there are times when I'm grumpy that I do not feel like worshiping. But it is those times when I most need to worship. In the book of Habakkuk, and probably don't touch on Habakkuk much, but in the book of Habakkuk, it's all about Habakkuk is is realizing what's going to happen to the nation of Israel, that Babylon is going to come in and overthrow it, and, and he's kind of in despair, basically saying, God, why are you allowing this terrible, sinful nation to come in and overthrow your people? You're people who are supposed to be serving you, who are supposed to be obeying you, and they're not, but you're you're allowing these even worse people to come in and overthrow us. And at the end of the book, Habakkuk writes this: Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there'll be no herd in the stalls. What is Habakkuk saying? There's going to be some bad things that are going to happen. We're going to be going through some rough times. We're not going to have the things that we're accustomed to. Our comforts are going to be gone. Our livelihood is going to be missing. And yet, he says at the end of that, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Even though all of these bad things are happening, I will still praise God. I think of Job. All of what Job went through. He lost his his livelihood and all of his flocks and animals. He lost his family. He lost his servants. He lost it all. And Job responded, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. See, it's, at times it's hard to worship, but it's in those hard times that we most need worship to witness to ourselves. The third example of how we can witness is we can witness to our congregation. We've gotten here now. This group. That comes out of verses 4 through 10. Uh, David makes the note, One generation shall commend your works to another. What's happening in here? There's older adults and there's younger adults and there's middle-aged adults. And What's happening? We're commending God's good works to one another. We're declaring praises about God to one another. Verse 6, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. Verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Verse 10, and all your saints shall bless you. It's this picture of the congregation joining together, worshiping God. This is one of the essentials of why it's important that we still meet in person, because we don't get that when we do it virtually. In the book of Hebrews, we're told do not give up the meeting of the assembly of believers. Why is it important? Because the generations join together. Because it's then we can talk about what God has done, the good things He has done in our lives over the last week. We can talk about our needs of how we need God this week. We witness to our congregation. Another psalm, Psalm 40, is another example of this. This is David. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I've told the good news of deliverance. Where? In the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. David's like, I'm proclaiming what you have been doing in my life. Oftentimes when we join together, we're not always aware of what each other is going through. I think that's important why we have Sunday school classes, because we can share needs with one another in a smaller format and pray for each other, care for one another. But as we come together, there are times It's hard for us to proclaim to ourselves God's goodness. And then there's others around us when we come into a congregation like this who can proclaim God's goodness, can say, you know what? I was there. I know what you're going through. A little over a year ago, my dad passed away. lot of you came up to me and said you know what I was there I've lost a parent I've lost somebody close I know what you're going through that's part of our congregation that's how we minister and worship we care for one another Psalm 66 come in here all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I will tell you what he's done for my soul. There's a lot of different pieces of, of how this could work in a congregation. It includes our music, it includes our fellowship together, it includes, as we do, the one-anothers of Scripture It includes our wholehearted participation in worship. It it includes using uplifting and encouraging words to one another or writing notes to each other. Uh, It includes a regular practicing um, of remembering of who God is and what he's done, doing communion with one another. There's many ways that we can do this worshiping in a congregation. So as we're working our way out horizontally, we witness to ourselves, we witness to our congregation, and you can probably guess what the next one is, we witness to our community. See, our worship is not just supposed to stop at an individual level between us and God. Our our worship is to continue to go out and to overflow until it's out into the community as well. David makes the comment in verses 12 and 13, beginning of verse 12, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. What is he saying? We're going to keep declaring this to everyone, the children of man. He talks in verses 14 through 16 about how God provides for all. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. In verses 18 and 19, he talks about the accessibility of salvation. The Lord is near to all who call on him. That is a message not only that we need to hear, that our congregation needs to hear, but that's a message that the community needs to hear. The Lord is near to all who calls on him. But then he also gives a warning in verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. There is an end coming. We know that throughout the whole Bible that some will be lost. But our job as Christians is to communicate the gospel to as many as we can. And then there's a proclamation at verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. You just get this picture that the psalmist is like trying to shout as loud as he can. I'm going to say it as loud as I can so that everybody can hear it. Psalm 96, verses 2 and 3 says, Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Where is this supposed to be happening? Everywhere. In Etna Green, in Bourbon, in Napanee, in Plymouth, in Warsaw, in Indiana, in the United States, in the whole world. Our worship is to be flowing out and going everywhere. Michael Youssef, we mentioned his book earlier. When believers extol God for his promise of eternal life, the saints of the church are refreshed. Plus, those who are lost will feel conviction. When believers extol God, they create a hunger in others to enter into the fullness of eternal life as we worship, those who are not Christians are going to wonder why. They're going to see something missing. There's going to be a hunger created there. Our worship to God, I talked about the smells at the beginning of my sermon. Our worship to God is to be a sweet-smelling In the book of Exodus, God's giving instructions on how to do the burnt offering. And he says, burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Our worship is that offering. It's a pleasing aroma to God. That sweet-smelling aroma should minister to us after it ministers to him, and then it should minister to the congregation, and then it should flow out into the community. I think our worship is one of the ways, one of the best ways that we can be a light in a dark world. You remember Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus is teaching his disciples and the others who are there who have gathered, and he says in Matthew 5:14 through16, "You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works." and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You, Christian, you, believer, you are the light of the world. And when we get together as a congregation, we're to be a blazing inferno as all the lights join together. I think one of the brightest ways that we can shine for God is through our worship of Him. And so we ask ourselves this question, is my worship a sweet-smelling aroma that causes those around me to take action? On Sunday, is that happening? On Monday... Is that happening? On Tuesday, is that happening? On Wednesday, is that happening? On Thursday, is that happening? On Friday, is that happening? On Saturday, I get a day off. No, on Saturday, is that happening? Throughout your whole week. Sometimes, it's going to be, is my worship a sweet-smelling aroma that my family is recognizing? Because those are who you're around in the day. Other times it's going to be, is my worship a sweet-smelling aroma that my co-workers or my friends are smelling? So is my worship a sweet-smelling aroma that causes those around me to take action? Would you pray with me? God, we understand that our worship is... Probably not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. But God, we want to offer you worship that is pleasing to you. Worship that is honoring to you. Worship that glorifies you. And God, that worship that it would be speaking truths into our own lives and witnessing to us. It would be witnessing to our congregation and our families. And it would be a, wor- a witness to our community as well. Father, help us as we seek to be that pleasing aroma to your nostrils. That as we go to our day-to-day, Monday through Friday and the weekend of Saturday and Sunday, as we go through those days that we would be worshiping you, as we're going through hard events in our lives that we would turn to worship of you despite how we're feeling. That our responses would be a Response of praise and worship because of who you are. Because of the ways we have looked back in the past and seen your your provision in our lives. God, may we rejoice in all that you've done. In the hope of salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. In his miraculous work on the cross and in his resurrection. God, thank you for the way you save us. God, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.